Are you sick of the fatigue and fog? Fed up with unpredictable flares? Hangry from the super restrictive diets? Hello, and welcome to Success with Sjogren's, a podcast empowering naturally minded and scientifically grounded women looking to reduce or even eliminate their Sjogren's symptoms. Hi, I'm your host, Dr. Kara Wada, a fellow Sjogren Spoonie, triple board certified allergy, immunology, and lifestyle medicine physician, coach, medical educator, and mom. As a reminder, although I am a physician, I'm not your physician, and this podcast is for educational purposes only. Hey everyone, welcome to Success with Sjogren's. I am so excited to welcome my uh, friend and colleague, uh, Cheryl Crow, who is the founder of Arthritis Life, which she is going to share all about with you. Um, and I wanted just to share a little bit about how Cheryl and I met. So um, it's pretty crazy um, that, you know, if we think back maybe 10 years ago, making friends through the internet would have been probably thought to be a little bit creepy. Um, but nowadays, I have met so many amazing colleagues and friends um, virtually through Instagram and Facebook. And so Cheryl and I connected because of our um, shared experiences as both being healthcare providers and autoimmune patients. Um, and she um, has dealt with, I'll let her explain her, her story to you all, but um, she's a couple steps ahead of me in regards to kind of her journey. And so I have looked to her for some help and inspiration and um, just a really great collaborator. So welcome, Cheryl. Thank you so much for joining um, on our Success with Shogun's podcast. So tell us about oh. yourself. Yeah, thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here. And I love that introduction because it really is amazing Like having grown up in the era before the internet and the World Wide Web. And then now <laughs> with not just the World Wide Web, but social media, it's incredible. And yeah, so I am 40 years old and I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis when I was 21. So I've been living with it almost a half my life. I also have Raynaud's and, um, gastroparesis and basically dysautonomia as well, which is totally a great mix. No. And, um, I, you know, i also became an occupational therapist six years after my diagnosis, or I started occupational therapy school, which if you don't know what occupational therapy is, it's really a practical life skills focused, um, profession. So we really help you function in your daily life. What is it in a day in your life that you're you know, illness or disability is making it difficult for you to do. And then can we remediate that? Like if your hands are weak, can we make them stronger or can we work around it and compensate for it? So can we say, okay, if your hands aren't going to get stronger, can we put a splint on to give you more comfort? You know, so it's a, it's a great um, profession to have alongside being a patient. Cause I learned a lot of practical tools. And so, um, the last thing I'll say about my introduction. So I started arthritis life two years ago as a really an educational and entertaining platform. So I wanted to use the power of social media and video to, you know, sprinkle empowering educational tidbits to people and also connect other patients. So they felt less alone. And one of my motivations was that I feel that patients aren't given enough um, education right after their diagnosis. And um, and so I like my little, uh, soapbox is like, you know, patient education should be like a priority, not an afterthought. It's a must have, you know? So, and I, I, so I love that you're, you know, you're doing 
some, we're doing similar things, you know, in terms of like harnessing the power of social media and connections mm-hmm. to help support people who might not be getting that support in the traditional medical system, but we're also working in the traditional medical system. We're everywhere. We're doing everything. Well, <laughs> we're ambitious. I don't know about you, but I think, um, working in the system, you realize the faults and that we don't have enough time during those visits to necessarily address all the things that really are critical mm-hmm. for having, um, you know, success, a successful journey with whatever condition you are, um, dealing with. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think it is like you mentioned earlier, being both a health provider and a patient, it does give you a unique lens because I think, um, if, if, when people are, it's easy to jump to conclusions from both sides. Like if you're a patient, you'd be like, all oh, these doctors don't care about me or they're not listening to me. And then if you're the provider, you're like, all oh, these patients aren't following through or, you know, like, and you kind of, we get to kind of wear both hats and say, well, here's the complexity. Like you know, um, it's not so black and white. So yeah, it's, it never is right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, and I guess one thing maybe to share and of course, some of our, our Sjogren's listeners kind of are already well aware of this, but, um, maybe not everyone is that Sjogren's and rheumatoid arthritis very often will go hand in hand or with some of the other conditions you're dealing with too, like the dysautonomia or the Raynaud's. And, um, so with autoimmunity, there's so many different overlaps and, um, and we're kind of sometimes all struggling with our own constellation of symptoms that we're dealing with. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. I had gone to an ophthalmologist for dry eyes after my rheumatoid arthritis diagnosis. Mm. And I, I saw it as two separate issues. I didn't know that, um, even if you don't have a Sjogren's diagnosis, if you have rheumatoid arthritis, you can have dry eyes just from the disease, you know? And, um, I remember the ophthalmologist, I was like, why is, why are my eyes so tricky? Like, why is it being so stubborn? And he was like, well, you know, cause you have rheumatoid arthritis. And I was like, what does that have to do with my eyeballs? Like, yeah, you know, he yeah. had explained it to me. And again, that's that patient education piece. Like, yes, I could have like maybe read that online, but like, it would have been nice. Like if there was someone to help connect the dots for me earlier, that, you know, um, that it was something I could expect to potentially experience as a rheumatoid arthritis patient. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so thinking about, um, your, your journey and kind of when you were starting off, um, do you have particular advice that you like to share kind of with someone who's newly diagnosed? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love, that's like my favorite population to talk to the newly diagnosed, you know? So the first, the most important thing for me is, has been the thing that's the hardest at the beginning, which is acceptance. Mm -hmm. But the soon, I will tell you from my own experience and the experience of many other people that I've helped through this journey, you know, the sooner you can accept that this disease is, it's going to be a passenger in your journey in life. It's not necessarily going to be like the main character or the driver, it doesn't have to mean that you don't accepting that you have this condition doesn't mean that like you're giving up hope of relief or anything. But point being the reason I I like acceptance is because the, what I see happening a lot is people get diagnosed and then they, they think, okay, I just have to make this thing go away. Right. Like, so their whole life becomes about controlling symptoms and making the disease 
go away or healing it or curing it. And meanwhile, their life is still there. Like you still have relationships. You still have, you know, things that you could be engaging in, but you're like, I'll get to all that later. Like I'm going to get that later. Once my, I figure out my rheumatoid arthritis or my Sjogren's and it's like, there's actually a different way, right? You can say like, I have a full life that includes this disease and, um, and I don't need to put everything on hold while I wait. Does that, is that similar with your experience? Uh, uh, no, absolutely. And I think I, it's only been more recently that I've really kind of tried to embrace the journey of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, I've been talking with a fair number of colleagues too. And I think this is prevalent amongst, um, at least amongst people like my peer group of, of other women physicians, but like, and perhaps with occupational therapy school too, like, you know, you always have like this next goal you're going towards. Right. And like, Oh, I'll be happy at this next goal, but really, um, focusing in on, you know, the fact that every day we're on this journey and we can make the most of the entire situation. And, and so kind of more of the focus in the moment, as opposed to that fixation on the future. Totally. It's a mindfulness based Mm -hmm. mindfulness based philosophy. And the other thing is that and this is a little bit maybe more relevant for chronic pain conditions than, than I know Sjogren's can uh, come alongside chronic pain, but that yeah. there's a difference between pain and suffering. So mm-hmm. pain is like, yes. can be conceptualized. I mean, pain can be defined many different ways, but let's for simplicity's sake, we can say pain is like the physical experience, your physical sensation and suffering comes from the meaning that we make mm-hmm. of that physical experience and that, and the thoughts that we have around it. And yes. so just even being aware of that in the first place, like the pain might be, okay, my hands are really flaring. The suffering could be all the conclusions I'm drawing from it. Oh no, it's going to get worse. I'm going to be in a big flare. My medications aren't working. And it doesn't mean that those, those thoughts aren't true. We don't need to say, oh, let's like, I'm not a big fan of CBT, cognitive behavior therapy, where you're like, I'm going to like say that these thoughts are all distortions. And, you know, I, I, I find it useful in some contexts, but in the very beginning, I think just the acceptance um, philosophy, like I use acceptance and commitment therapy. It's also known as ACT. And it's, um, it's actually an approach that kind of combines mindfulness and elements of CBT, cognitive behavior therapy. But what you do is you just say like, I'm having these thoughts and you just notice them and you acknowledge yeah. them. And then you just reframe your focus to, okay, what can I still do with those thoughts? So sorry, sorry, going to yeah. go away. I'm not controlling them, but, um, you know, and, and can I say, okay, my suffer, if my suffering is partly coming from the thoughts I'm having, like, what are some different, this is, is a little more CPT, like, are there different yeah. ways of looking at it? Can I Absolutely. take it like yeah. different view? Yeah. Well, it, and it's kind of, so, and this is what I'm learning kind of through my coach training too, is that, you know, there are circumstances, those are the facts and then it's yeah. our thoughts about those circumstances that really create our feelings. And so if we can kind of rework the, the, the neurology and, um, and how our pathways are going, it really is incredibly powerful is how we can perceive and experience a situation. Yeah. And I think the other thing is that, um, is kind of unlearning some fundamental assumptions you might've had about the future, you know, like, so I think a lot of times people who haven't experienced a chronic condition, your fundamental assumption is that like, you're either hundred percent healthy or you're hundred percent disabled and there's mm-hmm. no in between, but there actually is this giant gray area, right? Where you're Huge. like, you and I both have these conditions, but we're able to work, but we're maybe have to do modifications and adaptations. Mm-hmm. And so when people are anxious and stressed, they tend to go to like the poles, like the, 
oh my gosh, either my life is over or it's going to be okay. Like the forced optimism where you're like, it's going to be fine. I'm going to control this and it's going to go away. Um, so unlearning this idea that like you either have an acute condition that like gets better or you have like a fatal condition that gets worse and you die. Like there's people who live with conditions like ours that just fluctuate Mm -hmm. and, and the more, the sooner you accept again, that fluctuation, the, the better, because you'll be struggling less against the inevitable ups and downs. Yeah. And the other, and yeah, just one other quick thing would be, um, uh, and this is a deeper work, but like unlearning your own ableism, like, you know, ableism is like discrimination against people with disabilities. And so just like racism is discrimination against people in different, you know, racial groups. Um, there's a lot of times people have ideas like, well, I shouldn't like, I don't want to use a mobility aid or I don't want to use a hot pack or cold pack at work. I don't want people to think that I'm weaker or less than, you know, or I don't want to have to put eye drops in during a zoom meeting, which I totally have done numerous times. (laughs) Um, and so realizing that, like, I think that internalized ableism is when we then say, I am less than because I have a health condition, I'm less valuable than a, as a person. And that's totally in my philosophy, that's not true at all, but it, takes time to unlearn it. Yes. My health conditions make my life more challenging in some ways they put challenges in front of me, but no one's life is devoid of challenge, right? No one's happy all the time. No one feels great all the time. Even if someone maybe is hundred percent, you know, there's I, I'll, the example I'll use, and this might sound out of left field. I'll say, you know, if your worth is really just in your body, I mean, there's serial killers that are in jail, right? Or prison right now. Are they more worthy than that are hundred percent able-bodied? Are they more worthy than you? Is their life better than yours? Cause they're able-bodied like, no, you know, but sometimes we can be hard <laughs> on ourselves, you know? So yeah. I guess I go to the extremes. I don't know. I was a little it's ramble. helpful. No, but that's how you remember kind of those, um, those points, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> no, I, I love a good analogy. Um, yeah. so I would love for you to explain or kind of share what you've done kind of within the, the space with arthritis life. Yes. Okay. I am, I'm a very, uh, big picture person. So my, my mission is to educate, empower, and support people with inflammatory conditions. And I do that through actually life is an acronym, which I don't remember to tell people enough. So L stands for life hacks. I is interviews, kind of like what you're doing with your podcast, you know, patient interviews. Um, F is fun. (laughs) That's where the entertainment comes in and E is education. And so, um, I have, I have my own podcast, arthritis life. Yeah. Sharing, you know, patient stories and, and, and just reflections and advice to help people feel more empowered and less alone. And then I do have two different programs. I have a online course, the rheumatoid arthritis roadmap, which just um, is a self-paced course. People can learn, walk through and learn kind of like basically all what we call in the field, like self-management skills or the tools that you need to manage and on a practical level in everyday life, you know, for rheumatoid arthritis, that's pain, fatigue, medication management, and, um, you know, adaptations that might work to protect your joints. And then also the uh, looking at the big picture of how this affects your life. You know, I really operate from like the biopsychosocial model, which Mm -hmm. is, it's not just physical, right. It's Mm -hmm. mental. So giving you mental health coping skills, 
And then social, you know, how do you explain it to friends and family? Yeah. yeah and, and then I have a room to thrive. Um, like it's a six month long program. It's basically a support group with those educational modules sprinkled in live. So some people like the self pages, give me it all at once. I'll work through it on my own. Other people are like more social and they want the support and they want to learn live. And so that's room to thrive, like R H E U M. And, wow. you know, it's been really, yeah, it's been incredible because again, I just basically created what I felt people needed that they weren't getting in the traditional health system, Mm -hmm. it would be possible. Like some of the content that I'm teaching, you could learn in an individual one-on-one setting with an occupational therapist who would tailor it to your needs or, you know, some of this overlaps, right. With social work or physical therapy, but, um, or mental health counseling, but this is just, it's a more like accessible, it's a, a format that is for some people more accessible Um, and it's, yeah, it doesn't replace therapy. Like if I'll tell people, if you have an occupational therapist, you know, this is not a replacement for that. It's just, it's education in a different, um, in a, in a convenient format that you can kind of access from your own home and it's in a group setting. So it's not individual medical advice or anything, but yeah, it's been amazing. It's just, it's been and COVID hit right when I was just starting the programs. So it was like kind of a good and a bad thing, right? Because yeah. Now everyone's com- a lot of people, I guess, are, are comfortable learning online. So that's the good part. But the bad part is obviously we've all been through a lot of stress. Yes, <laughs> with COVID. yes, yes. So, yes. But, but it's yeah, an amazing just- resource that you've created. And um, I certainly have shared your information with a lot of my patients. And, you know, that um, so, and we'll make sure to post links for anyone who wants to check out Cheryl's podcast oh, or. Thank you programs or anything along those lines. Um, I think, you know, the biggest thing I've taken through medical training and then even more so now as a patient is really the power of the, the care team. And I think, you know, we had talked about before, you know, circling back to the beginning, like I had not had much experience working with OTs, you know, despite, um, having kind of some internal medicine and pediatrics kind of background, Um, and once I learned, I was like, oh my gosh, this makes so much sense. (laughs) Like how, how is this not part? Um, but, um, there, there is so much power in harnessing each of our, um, our backgrounds and, and experience and helping share that with, um, with, with those that are, you know, going through similar journeys that we are. Yeah. And I, I'm looking up the statistics, but you know, people with, um, with chronic conditions, you know, who do develop self-efficacy, which is like the confidence and being able to manage the everyday demands of your condition. They have, um, I have this, um, you know, I have a statistic here from self-efficacy and arthritis disability and updated synthesis, blah, 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 2014. But, you know, people who are able to do that have better quality of life, less severe pain levels, less fatigue, better mental health. So it's such a win-win. And, um, and I think, you know, in a weird way, like, I think I discovered on social media, like what, how many gaps there were in patient education that, mm-hmm. and, and it's, you know, everyone's trying their best after they get diagnosed to figure out what do I do? How do I cope with this? You know, how can I, and they'll try on their own to, to make sense of all these claims online, but it's overwhelming. Even if you're a trained health professional, 
There's yeah. so many different, you know, different conflicting claims and, mm. and you don't know who to trust. And so I think, yeah, having a team, I mean, I do think in my ideal world, like I, I think I was just saying this on my own podcast, I guess you guys all don't listen to my podcast probably, but you know, my <laughs> ideal world should. would be like, <laughs> everyone would have like, would have every patient who's newly diagnosed would get referred immediately to like an interdisciplinary team, you know, with, you know, obviously they have the rheumatologist, you know, allergist, immunologist, if needed, obviously your primary care, you know, maybe counselor, psychologist, occupational mm -hmm. therapist, physical therapist. And there's all these standards out there that say, I'm trying to look it up here from the mm -hmm. ULAR European league against rheumatism. You know, there's all these that are say, you know, you patients should have access to, um, you know, patient education and support throughout the course of their disease, not just at the beginning, like there's this, this is an article from 2015 ULAR European league against rheumatism at the time recommendations for patient education for people with inflammatory arthritis said patients levels of knowledge about the disease were low to moderate. And they expressed they had received insufficient information. Mm -hmm. And like, again, this is just soapbox, but I'm like, this is a solvable problem. <laughs> like, this is not like yeah. a complex. This isn't like, yeah. how do we make the cells of the immune system stop attacking? It's like, just tell people the information that's correct. Then yes. before yeah. they get lost online down these rabbit holes of misinformation, you know? Well, so. yeah. And, and I think we both, and we've talked kind of off offline about yeah. having seen people taken advantage of too, which is, I think has really frustrated yes. us with, um, you know, some of the, the unregulated nature of, um, the supplement and vitamin industry and, mm -hmm. and, um, and so that, you know, is another kind of mission and is and part of the mission of this is to kind of help people, you know, have a little bit more, um, of a discriminating eye or kind of, you know, pump the brakes a little bit before, um, before buying into some things that may seem too good to be true because they are. Yeah, absolutely. That was when you first said what advice to newly diagnosed, I was also, yes, you reminded me, I was also going to say, you know, learn about like logical fallacies and basic kind of, what do they call that? You know, heuristics, like the, the mental mistakes that your mind tends to make. Cause it's not your, like, it, it's not even about like intelligence or anything. So we all fall no. prey to like mental traps, you know, like using, and it's hard because like anecdotes is such a hard one, right? Because anecdotes and personal stories our brains are wired to love stories and storytelling. Mm -hmm. And so, but it's so it's can be deceptive, right? Because like, I finally found the statistic I've been looking for, which is like 5% or less of people with rheumatoid arthritis are able to sustain long-term remission without drug therapy. And I was looking for, I couldn't find the statistic. I finally did. And it's like, so that's so important to know, right? Cause you can have a really amazing story of someone and, the, and it's completely their valid story. And they're just wow. in the 5%. And that's wonderful for them. But if you're looking at your own odds and you're making your own medical decisions, you're more likely to be in the 95%. It's just the basic, you know, logic. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, that's just the math. But so often we don't, we don't have those kind of foundational, um, pieces of, of data to necessarily understand, um, the, the relative like likelihood of different things. So it's very, you know, as a doctor, obviously it's very complex, but no, but it's, it's, it is so true. And I talk about this all the time and it comes up more often when I'm talking with patients about reactions, um, like suspected allergic reactions in particular, mm -hmm. our brain is always wired to want to connect it to what we eat and food. 
And that's not, it's actually less often the case than, than you would think. Um, but oh. I talk about the lizard brain and how, you know, our lizard brain is wired to do things in a certain way. We always want the easy button, you know, we want to survive. And so sometimes it leads us astray. Um, and so yeah, totally, well, and also like it's, it, our brains are so interesting because we're also like wired to pay more attention to negative things because they're important for our survival. Right. And so like, it makes sense to say, okay, for example, with taking a new medication, there's a possibility of side effects, but there's also the possibility that it will work, you know, but a lot of times people just hyper fixate on the negative potential and not the positive. Um, and this isn't about thinking positive or negative. It's about like examining the relative likelihood. Like if I methotrexate is like 30% of people have some sort of GI distress. Like that is a pretty high number for a side effect, but it's also like, you know, I don't. Yeah. And it's also like a, well, you know, it's, I'm just, I could try it. Like if it's really bad, I can go off of it. It's not like a tattoo, you know? So where you can like never take it off again or not easily. So yeah, yeah, it's very complex. And obviously as we've seen with the vaccines and stuff, people have a lot of, they have a lot of complexity to to their decision-making with respect to like you know, things that may potentially cause their harm, even if it's like an infinitesimally small likelihood. So, yeah. And, (laughs) and unfortunately, you know, as, as we're working within the field, a 20 minute visit. Yeah. It's not enough that you're trying to address, you know, all the different things is not, uh, it's just not set up to engage in the conversation, the meaningful conversations that you really need to have to, to discuss some of those, those concerns and, and just build that trust with, um, Mm -hmm. with the person that is trying to help give you advice on what's going to hopefully work best to get you into remission. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Cheryl. I would, um, invite you, do you have anything, any parting words that you would love to share with our, our group? Yeah. Um, I mentioned acceptance and commitment therapy earlier and the, my favorite book on it is actually called the happiness trap. And it sounds like just like a, just pop psychology book, but it's backed by a ton of research. Um, it's by Dr. Russ Harris, a psychologist in Australia. And he really explains like the happiness, the trap is that we think that by eliminating all struggle and strife in our life, we'll be happier, but actually the sooner that we accept there's acceptance that struggle is part of life and no one, no one has a struggle-free life, the actual happier we are because our expectations are more, um, are more aligned. And also the, so the acceptance part is, I, I keep talking about acceptance, but also the commitment, the CT, this commitment therapy part is where you then you accept what's going on currently. Like right now, my body feels this way. Doesn't mean it's always going to feel this way doesn't mean I'm giving up hope or resigning myself to a negative future. It just means this is what it is right now. And then you connect with what's possible in your life today, right now. What can I do that brings me joy or fulfillment or like helps my, helps my um, quality of life today instead of again, hyper fixating on this like future that you must control and make better. It's been the biggest help of my life. And I've also, you know, I've gone to therapy and learned this from my therapist, but also read the book. So I can't tell again, correlation, like which one, if I had just read the book without <laughs> therapy, I'm not sure how far would I gotten, hopefully pretty far. But, um, and the, and then the, the last thing I'll say that I think is, is super helpful again, thinking about newly diagnosed for Sjogren's is, um, is accepting that some problems are solvable and some problems 
are perpetual. And actually that com- that is from exceptions and commitment therapy, but it also comes from marriage research from Dr. John Gottman in Seattle. I love him. And um, he found that couples in who were less likely to, um, to divorce were the ones were who accepted that like, you know, I accept that my, that, that my husband leaving his socks on the ground is a, is going to be a perpetual problem. And like, like <laughs> you have to kind of learn you have to, and it takes a long time. I'm not going to minimize it. Like for when you're chronically, yeah. you have a chronic illness, you get newly diagnosed. Like it's on a given day. I still don't know after 19 years, sometimes is my pain or my fatigue today. What, what degree of my pain or fatigue is solvable today? It might be that I can get my fatigue from like a five to a three. It might not be able to get to a zero. I can maybe, you know, but I, and, and knowing that the expectation is that, um, or be careful if you want, if your goal in your life is to feel zero pain and zero strife and zero struggle, because mm-hmm. most people experience, whether it's again, from a physical, you know, chronic condition or from a family situation or work situation, there are perpetual problems in our lives. And if we spend all our time trying to solve perpetual problems, <laughs> we're like basically putting a round peg in a square hole. You're never getting anywhere. You're putting, you're wasting energy that you could be using to engage with your actual life and, and what's possible despite these perpetual problems or with the problems. Um, you know, I, maybe it's like people, it's like an elephant in the room. They want to say like, no one wants to say like, maybe your chronic pain will never go away. Like, it's really scary to confront that, but to say, okay, well, there are people out there who, who still can like, you know, I have a friend, Bron, Dr. Bronnie Thompson, she's a pain researcher and she has fibromyalgia. You know, she still gardens, she makes jewelry. She does things that bring her joy and she has pain during that. Mm-hmm. And you, you're kind of still in charge of making some meaning from, from your life. I, I would say again, it's not that it's easy, but that it's, it's possible, or it's a good thing to strive for mm-hmm. as opposed to perfect symptom control or being the perfect patient or eating the perfect diet, which I know we both have yeah. <laughs> experience with going down that rabbit hole. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard because it's, then again, you see those anecdotes of the people who it worked for, you know, Oh, I went vegan and my RA went away. It's like so tantalizing, you know, but then, um, it doesn't work for everyone. So, yeah. you know, you're, you're rolling the dice, but yeah, sorry. Thank you for letting me go on so many tangents. I am so, I'm so thankful. Um, and so excited you were able to join us. Um, and, um, if you wouldn't mind sharing your handles, um, where people can find you, and then we will make sure that that is all posted with the show notes and everything, um, as well. Yeah. So I'll say them out loud, but, um, I made a little bit of a rookie mistake, uh, is I, they're all different. The handles are all different. So I'm sorry. So my Instagram is arthritis underscore life underscore Cheryl. And then my TikTok is tiktok.com. Um, at arthritis life. That's the one where I actually got arthritis life. Um, and then, oh, they're yeah, awesome. Like, TikToks. Like I've oh, learned so many great tips and they're hilarious and fun and engaging. So oh, even for good. someone who doesn't spend much time on TikTok. <laughs> no, it's really, fun. it's been really interesting because as you can tell from this podcast, I'm very long winded. And so to try to get my point across in 15 seconds or 30 seconds, it's actually been a really fun challenge or, you know, <laughs> And, and then the other one I would say is YouTube. So youtube.com backslash C backslash arthritis life is my channel where awesome. I do post like longer videos and also like product reviews and just demonstrations. And, um, I have talked a little bit in the past about getting, um, punctual plugs or like I, I do get yes. every six months. I, I just, in case you haven't mentioned this on the podcast already, those are amazing dissolvable plugs that go in your tear duct 
on near your nose. Um, who thought of that? <laughs> a pro- I need to research that. My guess is probably a very smart ophthalmologist. Um, yeah. this is also on my to-do list for after, after delivery. Oh yeah. <laughs> no one wants you to touch you when you're pregnant. But... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it's, I mean, you can explain it more than I, but basically they put dissolvable drops because so people think here, my tear duct, and they think that's where the tears come out of. That's actually where the tears drain, drain into. Down. Yeah. So it, 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 it plugs the, it's like putting a plug in your sink, right? Cause yeah. it creates, it, it allows the tears that your membranes above, like above your eyelid are producing to like stay Maybe in your longer. eye longer. Yeah. It's the most brilliant thing. <laughs> when they told me that I was like, are you like, you're seriously going to take like these tiny little tweezers and a tiny little plug and you're gonna, like plug my, eye. they're like, yes, we are. They have very steady <laughs> hands. That was the most amazing <laughs> thing. So if you do, I don't know how many of you have heard of that for Sjogren's uh, or if it's even recommended for Sjogren's, but. No, it is I, definitely part of it. And I actually, I should, um, that's a great um, suggestion in that um, one of, conveniently, one of Charlotte's classmates and good friends, her mom is um, an oculoplastic surgeon. So we might have to invite oh. her and see if she's willing to come on the podcast and share. I was like, a little bit I was going to say, oh. I wish I lived closer because awesome. then I would volunteer myself to video or I can ask my ophthalmologist if they mind me videoing myself, do it, getting it done. Cause I don't, yeah, people were, when I shared it before people were so it interested, scary, like, but it seems pretty like, no, it's fine. Yeah, like, I, I, yeah. I already, I already got over the touching the eye thing when I had to get contacts. So yeah, I know it's, <laughs> it's very gentle. I mean, it does hurt a little bit when they put it in, but then it, it helps. It really helps with dry eyes. So I know sugars is more than dry eyes, but just had to throw up. Like, no, I had I to put know. a plug out there. Uh, <laughs> I love it. Uh, yeah. Well, congratulations on this podcast. I'm really, Thank I think you. it's really filling a good need. So, um, I'm very honored to be on it. <laughs> well, thank you again. And you know, with uh rising tides rise all ships so i think you know one of those things that like all of us um that we've collaborated with it's been really fun to to cheer on each other's success you know and helping the greater community um and just getting you know getting our collective message out it's been yeah super fun yay thank you so much much. take care